0: Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee Connections. My name is Seth Weiner. I'm your host here, and it's a pleasure to have you all on this beautiful day here in Atlanta. Uh, it is fall, and it's gorgeous. Um, but again, my name is Seth Weiner, and I am your auctioneer. Many ask, what does that mean? It means I'm a benefit auctioneer specialist, and I'm enjoying these coffee conversations, uh, coffee connections, talking to all these innovative Atlanta nonprofit uh, organizers, uh, d- executive directors, d- development directors, founders, all sorts of stuff. And it's amazing. We have such an amazing group of uh, humans here in Atlanta. And it's just fascinating to learn all of, not just what their their missions are, but the stories behind them, how they got involved and be able to share that with you all. So hopefully you're enjoying it. And if you are enjoying, again, our YouTube page, uh, please subscribe. Uh, and on the YouTube page and on yourroctioneer.com right down there. Go to Coffee Connections, and all of our episodes are there. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Uh, today, we've got Jennifer Hostler with the Georgia Center for Child Advocacy. She's the project manager for Project Intersect at the Georgia Center for Child Advocacy. She's got over 20 years of social work experience with extensive expertise in child welfare practice, training, and system change across the country. Uh, Jennifer has worked with traumatized children and their families in, ch- in child advocacy centers, uh, residential treatment centers, and hospitals across the country. Uh, she's been an active member of the National Child Traumatic Stress Network since 2013, has provided multiple training across the country for trauma-informed practices and secondary traumatic stress for child welfare workers, supervisors, and caregivers. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Jennifer.
1: Hi, Seth. Thanks for having
0: me. It's a true pleasure to have you here. And uh, you got some new digs, but we're going to talk about all of that. But first and foremost, it's time for our coffee talk section of Coffee <laughs> Connections, where you can uh, you, we can be a little Linda-like, you know. Do uh, you drink coffee?
1: I do drink coffee.
0: Yeah? Do you have a coffee mug by chance near you? I do. Is that steam on the top of it? You're drinking coffee.
1: It's fresh. Fresh coffee.
0: All right. Well, tell us about that mug. Stay wild.
1: Well, this was a a gift from a friend who knows me very well. So this was a uh, a mantra for me to continue my adventurous, wild side in life.
0: All right. Uh, when it comes to coffee, are you wild?
1: <laughs> um, I think I'm adventurous. I tend to prefer my coffee iced, although now that summer huh. ended sort of like getting back into warm coffee, but in general, I like my coffee iced.
0: Okay. Dark roast, light roast.
1: I would say more of a medium roast. Although I, again, like to experiment and try new things. Um, an iced vanilla latte might be my signature drink.
0: Ah, cold pressed or regular?
1: Vanilla. Say that again?
0: Cold pressed or regular?
1: I mean, cold pressed if we're getting fancy, but.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. You know,
1: yeah, I'll take cold pressed.
0: <laughs> um do you like your coffee when it's hot uh drip or do you like the french press
1: oh I mean who doesn't love a french press i, I uh, like a French press I just mine broke a while ago so uh,
0: ah, yeah, well gotta now take I it know. the
1: old-fashioned way <laughs> <laughs> uh, last
0: question about coffee uh if you use cream or do you use regular cream milk or are you an almond?
1: I've been experimenting um with like the nut creamers so my new favorite thing is nut pods and they make them in various flavors so that's my new mm. favorite creamer
0: all right all right well thank you for that um thank you. No, I'm thirsty I, I'm an ice person I'm a nice person and an ice person in the summer uh, I definitely I definitely like my iced coffee I'm a and you know I learned that if you go to Dunkin donuts it's two things one thing is, you got to tell them if you use any sort of cream to only do a little bit. So, what I, my move is, I get the medium iced coffee, no ice, oh. and, and no cream because I bring it home and it's like getting two coffees for the price of one.
1: Wow. That's a really nice. Thank
0: you <laughs> I appreciate it. <My> <laughs> well, can you please uh, share about the Georgia Center? Uh, For child advocacy, what your position there is and the uh, your mission.
1: Yeah, thanks, Seth. Um, First, I have to start out by telling everyone that I really love the jacket. So kudos to you for the shiny disco ball sequins jacket. Um, So the Georgia Center for Child Advocacy, when I when I talk about um, GCCA, as we like to call ourselves, um, I first like to start out by letting folks know that children's advocacy centers are across the country. There are actually over 900. Um, CACs nationwide, Child Advocacy Centers nationwide, Um, and Child Advocacy Centers are really child-focused programs that bring together people from various disciplines, including law enforcement, child welfare, um, to work together to conduct interviews and make decisions on child abuse cases. So that is the mission of all CACs across the country um is to really um, come together support children and families um, who have been um, abused or neglected so that's kind of the the main role of the georgia center i'm sorry of child advocacy centers in general uh, the georgia center for child advocacy our particular mission is to champion the needs of children affected by sexual abuse severe physical abuse trafficking and those witnessing violence through prevention intervention therapy and collaboration so um, We've been around since 1987, we're 33 years old. Um, and I think one of the biggest things I like to point out about our center is that all of our services are free to the community. So uh, insurance is not a barrier. If you can imagine um, your child being abused or um, you know, sharing that someone has abused them and having to come to a, a child advocacy center, can be very scary, if you don't have insurance, that can be a barrier. So that's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that our services are free to the community, um, eliminating some barriers for people to access our services. Um, We uh, have four departments that really kind of organize our work, Um, that includes prevention. So our prevention team provides child abuse prevention training. Um, We've trained thousands of people across the state of Georgia Um, in stewards of children, which some of you may be familiar with. Um, We have a new uh, prevention training initiative called Connections Matter, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, We also provide forensic interviewing for children who have experienced abuse, neglect, exploitation. Um, Last year in 2019, we provided 729 interviews. So that gives you an idea of um, the amount of children that we serve each year. Um, We have a clinical team. includes therapy. So we have um, four therapists on site. I should mention we have two locations, um, one in Fulton County and one in DeKalb County. So we serve all of Metro Atlanta. Um, And last year in 2019, we had over 1300 therapy sessions that were conducted. So not 1,300 children, but 1,300 sessions conducted with the children that we serve. Um, And we also have two federal grants, and uh, that kind of brings into play my role. Um, Both grants are funded by the federal government, and both have a focus on working with children who have experienced commercial sexual exploitation, also known as child sex trafficking. Um, So those are the two very specific focuses of our grant. And so I manage one of those um, projects, which is called Project Intersect. Um, I do a lot of training, a lot of community outreach, education, awareness building around trauma, around trauma-informed practices, and specifically around child sex trafficking, so I've done training with um, folks in the juvenile justice um, settings. Uh, currently we're working on training foster parents and other caregivers um, of youth who experience trauma and exploitation um, and then also working with homeless and runaway youth serving organizations to help provide them some information and education on trauma um, so that's a little bit about my role I'll just say um, you know, We're living in the days of COVID, which um, has changed a lot of the things about about the way we do our work, but we are considered an essential provider and have been since day one. So our our doors have not closed, although those of us who could work remotely have been doing so, Um, but child abuse has not stopped. Um, in fact, um, there is actually evidence to suggest that more children are at risk during quarantine, they're at home, uh, they're not in school, being seen by adults who normally, um, you know, are checking in on them daily. Some kids, schools are where they're getting their meals. Um, so really, quarantine has had a really big impact on kids Parents are stressed. Parents are losing their jobs. Parents are now teaching their kids. Um, so, there's a whole host of reasons. I mean, I think we're all feeling stressed right now more so than normal. So, um, it, uh, our work is really important because, like I said, child abuse has not stopped during this time. So, we've had to adjust the way that we do our work, um, but our work has continued nonetheless. So, wow.
0: I, I have a thousand questions for you. Yeah, but I'll start by saying (laughs) I'll start by saying thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important. Um, I kind of I want to go back to I mean, I really do have like a thousand questions for you. All right. So I want to talk about sex trafficking uh, in a minute. But let's start with I said that so I remember where I want to (laughs) go when it comes to children being and the therapies and all that in child abuse, what about like like children that are abused when they're babies or like you know a year or two years old and then they get into the adoptive you know into foster care, et cetera? Are you providing therapies for for them post trauma trauma years down the road because it takes such a long healing process?
1: Sure, that's a really great question, Seth, and as you can imagine, providing therapy to an infant is <laughs> Possible, <laughs> including toddlers. Um, I would say the youngest child we actually see at the Georgia Center is around three to four, um, and and that can be really challenging to provide therapy. But it's a lot of play therapy, right?
0: Really play, yeah,
1: right. So, um, but to answer your question, you know, a lot of people have this idea that oh, well, babies don't remember, and if you're abused as a baby, it's no big deal because you're not going to remember. And what we actually know is that trauma leaves its mark in our body, regardless of mm-hmm. whether and in utero um, or if it's happened when you're 10 or 15 or three so oftentimes what will happen is when really young children are abused um, if it's not addressed properly um, when they become of an age developmentally where they can speak and communicate those things type those um, types of things tend to fester and kids mm-hmm. will be in problems um, in with attachment with other caregivers yeah. They um, not get along with their peers. Then they become school age, and they have trouble concentrating or focusing in school. Um, and so, it's really likely that kids would come to us later um, mm-hmm. with types of presenting problems um, that resulted in early childhood trauma.
0: Right, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, you know, I'm I'm looking outside right now, and I've got all these trees in front of me. And as the trees, you know, growing, if you see the tree bend, you know, one way, the tree's healthy. It just goes in a different direction. And, and, and in a way, I think children is the same thing as they're growing. If, if they get affected by something, they don't, they're, they're just going with life and they're growing in this direction. They don't realize it. You can't, it's, you can't go to a kid and say, Hey, you know, you were abused and let me just fix that because you can't just fix that. You have, it ta- it's going to take all this time to bring it back. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a, very big, big deal. And, and, and for people to be able to understand that. So I commend you for that. When you talk about when you talk about the training, um, it, can you talk a little bit about like, is that like training? If, say, a parent was uh, just being abusive and not even realizing that they had abusive behavior, is it training like that? Or can you talk a little bit more about what, what, what it is the training you do?
1: Yeah, we have uh, many levels and layers store training. I mentioned our um, our prevention training, which um, uses um, stewards of children um, training program, and so that really is for it's a prevention training for adults. So it's uh, designed to train adults across the state of Georgia um, on how to actually prevent child abuse. So um, things that you can actively do to prevent a child um, from being abused, um, signs to recognize, things like that, and so. That training we've been doing for years, and I wanna say we've trained over 14,000 people across the state of Georgia. So that's our big initiatives. Um, I also mentioned um, we provide training for therapists across the state of Georgia um, using an evidence-based model of treatment that we provide, which again, I'll probably talk about later when we talk about our innovations um, or the services that we provide. Um, So we provide training for therapists, um, and evidence-based treatments to actually treat um, traumatized children. You know, it's great that we have four therapists on site, right, at the Georgia Center that are all doing good work. But what happens for a kid in Athens or in Valdosta who maybe doesn't have access to one of our trainers, so that or to one of our therapists? So by training other therapists across the state of Georgia, we ensure that more kids can effective evidence-based mental health treatment. Um, In terms of caregiver training, uh, what I've particularly done is worked with mostly foster parents, although we are beginning to step into working with caregivers in a more broad sense, so that would include relatives, birth parents, um, essentially anyone who's caring for a child who's traumatized. And there is some psychoeducation that we provide about what trauma is. We talk about how it impacts the brain, right? How it impacts behavior. Um, How does it impact a child's ability to go to sleep at night or to maybe pay attention and focus in school? So part of it is. Um, education around how trauma actually impacts children's ability to form attachments to learn things like that Um, and then we provide um, information on how to respond in an effective manner as a caregiver right so we know when kids are yelling at us or um, or they're upset about something and we're feeling stressed um, yelling at kids is not really the most productive way to go about resolving the issues. So we talk with caregivers about ways that they can respond to that behavior now that they have a little more information about trauma and why that behavior is actually happening. I think that is also really frustrating for parents. We don't understand why a kid is acting a certain way. And we try to help caregivers understand um, that there is a reason behind every behavior that we see. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, you know, the, the, the great example of that is bedtime. You know, when a kid is having a hard time at bedtime, especially when that comes from trauma, yelling at them to go to sleep, isn't going to help. You actually need to, you, you have to recognize that there's a, there's a break there. The, there's the, 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 um, you mentioned it before the, um, uh, attachment disorder that's happening there and you have to work with that and yelling isn't going to do it it feels good well maybe for a yeah. second
1: but, <laughs> but that's yeah. our response as adults right that's yeah. What i think we need to do um but yeah you're right what you're getting at is finding out why and sometimes that takes time to find that out it takes yeah this, it takes asking questions it might take trying to put the bed the, the child to bed seven different ways that week right and figuring mm-hmm so
0: yeah exactly you know it's it's challenging but that's that's you, you don't learn this stuff at school unless well you go to school for it or you can now <laughs> have kind of a resource you don't even
1: learn it so you know <laughs> you we all learn by experience so
0: so then when you talk about people that are seeing trauma happen or you know child abuse happen and it's an uncomfortable thing to contact you all. Is are people contacting you instead of the police or like what what is that what's what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, great question, Seth. Um oftentimes um we are being contacted either by law enforcement or by um child welfare, which is also known in Georgia as DFACS, right? Um Division for Family and Children's Services, I believe was what that stands for. Um, but child welfare professionals who are really their role is to determine whether or not abuse has happened. So most often um, Law enforcement and or DFACS is contacting us to set up a forensic interview. So when a kid has alleged that someone has harmed them, whether it be physically or sexually, um, the first step, depending on who is making that report, right? Sometimes it's a caregiver. Sometimes it's a teacher, which is part of why kids not being in school right now is so concerning and why we're concerned that more abuse happening because kids aren't around teachers who are um, one of the most prominent reporters of child abuse, right? So what happens when kids aren't going to school and teachers aren't able to lay their eyes on kids? So that's definitely a concern for us. But yeah, yeah, it'd be law enforcement or DFACs would contact us um, to schedule a forensic interview, which is what I I mentioned one of our services at the beginning. So when a child has alleged um, that abuse has occurred to them, they come to the Georgia Center for a trauma-informed forensic interview by a mental health professional who's trained in forensic interviewing. And we work really closely with law enforcement. Um, The child is interviewed here one time so that they don't have to repeat their story to many Mm. other people. And then law enforcement can use that and child welfare can use that interview um, to determine the court, the next course of action.
0: You brought up such a valid point though. Like I've been thinking about the uh, education deficit that we're going to see not right away, but in like ten years, fifteen years, we're going to see that there's this gap from education and how that plays out be, you know but and and I've thought about the food you know the the fact that kids can't get you know, sometimes the only meal they get is the square meal they get is at school, but I yeah. didn't think about the abuse and the checks and balances that take place with the teacher being able to see the students and be able to see if, if not just physical but emotional marks, yeah um that's, that's powerful. I didn't, I, I didn't think about that. Um, so that, that's really interesting.
1: It is. And I think also Seth, what you're kind of highlighting is the um, inequities among students right now. All students have access to a computer to do virtual learning or have access to a caregiver who can be home to help them. The caregiver has to go to work. So um, I think what you're highlighting is like, we don't really know what sort of deficits or impact it's going to have we're probably not going to know for a couple of years, but I do think it's going to have an impact on kids, especially those um, who are already at a disadvantage, whether it's technology mm-hmm. or supervision in the home. So,
0: yeah, and especially now at a time where we're talking about such equal rights and being able to give everyone equal opportunity, and we have to recognize that if we if we don't address this <laughs> space right here, that we are only going to prevent people from being able to move forward and 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 get ahead and, and or get caught up or whatever you want to call it so it's 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 a big deal um it's a big deal you also mentioned uh and I, I do want to talk about the fact that you have a new location but before we get there yeah. you mentioned the sexual trafficking and i just want to touch on that a little bit so when i think of sexual tra- trafficking i i'm thinking like i'm driving down the highway i see the signs for the massage parlors and this and it's like, that's, that's what I see, but there's obviously more to it than that. Um, can you, you know, share a little bit what's, what's actually going on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some, a lot of people say when they think of, you know, human trafficking or child sex trafficking, they think of the movie taken with Liam Neeson. Um, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It doesn't usually happen like that. Um, I'll tell you that much. Um, and at the Georgia center, we work with children. So, under the age of 18. So it looks a little bit different for um, children than it does for adults. please right. uh, really speaking, there's a different, there's a kind of a bit of a clause in the definition um, of human trafficking as it applies to children, essentially anyone under the age of 18, because a child cannot consent uh, to being bought or sold for sex. So that's a really important consideration. So um, often the way it happens and what we know from the kids that we see at the Georgia Center and also what, what the research tells us is that Kids are most often um, trafficked by someone they know. It, it's not often happening where they're getting kidnapped off the streets, or they're, you know, at Target um, in the parking lot and someone's approaching them. Or you know, kids are not being sold online at Wayfair and Cabinets those things are not actually how it works it often happens um, by someone they know so it could be a family member we have um, several kids that are being seen at the Georgia Center who are actually trafficked um, by someone in their own family so um, kids are can be recruited by other um, kids in their school Um, online is a really big thing and kids really need to understand how to be safe online Uh, traffickers will go into chat rooms on social media um platforms and video game platforms and they'll just start oh, yeah kids and pretend to be maybe a 15 year old kid or maybe they will pretend to be an older adult um and they sort of begin to have a relationship with them over chat and um, perhaps they then get the ca- a child to send a photo of themselves and then they use that photo to sort of blackmail blackmail that child into you know sending more photos. Um, and that puts the child in a really awful state, right? Because then you've, um, you've done something not really knowing what you're getting into. And now there's kind of the shame and stigma attached because now someone has a photo of you and you don't want anyone else to find out. And so that's often how, um, the online exploitation can occur.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, giving our kids access to those iPads is a lot more in phones, you know, and, and gosh, I mean, I, I, my friend's got a kid that's, uh, 15 now and i'm just like you know it's one thing to be a like just like, to, to be a to, to see these kids on instagram but then like when they the 15 year old girls like what are you doing you're not 20 you know like you gotta yeah you, you you have to be see that other people are going to see you and how they're going to see you and and so yeah it's a it's a weird time you know for well it's always i think it's always a weird time but but right now it's just the amount of the accessibility is just too much i mean when when, when I was, when AOL was popular or, <laughs> you know, or, uh, uh, or, or oh, ways Prodigy, you remember Prodigy? Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, the first, uh, <laughs> the first, the first chat rooms, uh, BBSs and whatnot, but, but those, I mean, you know, that's where this all, I mean, that was happening then, but not, yeah, not, not like it is now and, and not, and it was not as widespread. So, uh, but the parent, families though, that's, uh, families having hard times and, and you that's it's scary to think about. Um all right. Well let's let's uh, let's shift subjects on a positive note. You all moved into a new location. Talk about this location um, and about the move.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um it's pretty exciting. We um, were previously located. We are the office that I'm at, I mentioned we have two locations. Our decab location is in uh, Tucker, right off 285 and La Vista Road. Um, and then our new Fulton location, we were previously Kind of in this like dark building with really bad Wi Fi <laughs> um, attached to a preschool. And so we have just this summer moved to the Met Atlanta, um, which is on the West End. It is a um, large um, warehouse type of complex, so there are multiple other businesses, organizations, there's some uh, a brand new like child nonprofit that opened up, it's like a, a youth center, um, there's a lot of art studios, there's some cool food trucks, um, there's a bakery here, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm not quite sure what they do yet, because uh, huh. their doors aren't marked, but yeah, we just moved to the West End, to the Met. Uh,
0: congratulations, <laughs> and, and I imagine uh, a little bit better parking,
1: a lot better parking. Yeah. Much better parking. Uh, well, the US, sure. I'm sure,
0: but. I yeah, all right. uh, but that's kind of like a Renaissance area, right? It's got a, a lot going on over there. There's, there's a lot of arts in that area. Is it yeah. near the Beltline?
1: It's uh, I think it's near the Beltline. It's right across the street from the West End Marta station. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, um the Weston is a is a historic neighborhood in Atlanta, so we're really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. So, so yeah, so moving into funding wise, where does most of your funding come from—private donations or events, or is it from uh, you know, sponsors or grants and that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of all the things you said. And this is really important because as I mentioned, our services are free. We don't charge parents for interviews. We don't charge them for therapy. And that's really important to our model. So um, certainly a lot of grants. Um, we I mentioned we have two federal grants with a very specific po- uh, focus on working with um, child sex trafficking. So we get money from the federal government, and that way we have actually we have a grant writer here, which is pretty amazing, uh, and that's what she does. She writes grants for us, and she tries to find us money, big and small. Um, we get donations, you know, private donations throughout the year, and then we have um, several fundraisers, annual fundraisers that are, are really big. Um, draw for us. One of those um, being our cheer for children ball. And that is our annual event that we have every October. Um, this year is our 25th year. So it's our silver anniversary. If you can imagine the awesome silver disco party that we were planning on having had the event. Uh, not dyed
0: my hair for it.
1: <laughs> you did. <laughs> you fit right in, Seth. Um, So that has really changed things for us because as I mentioned, our services have not stopped. Um, they'll have been, you know, continued to operate business as usual. So, um, not having this fundraiser in person is a really big blow for us. Um, so we're moving ahead and doing it virtually like most everyone else, um, in the community or in the nation for that matter. Um, we want to be safe um, for ourselves and our staff, but also for our donors and our volunteers. So, We are choosing to do it virtually this year. Um, It's going to be on Thursday, October 22nd at 7 o'clock PM. Um, There's a link, Seth, that um, you can actually share that anyone can join. Um, And I know you have that, so you're going to bring that up. But one of the cool things um, about going virtual is that you know, normally we have a, a maximum capacity of two to 300. And so with it being virtual, anyone in the community could actually join. So um, the event, as I mentioned, is Thursday, the 22nd of October at 7 p.m. It's only going to be about 45 minutes. Um, we're being very mindful of people's attention span to sit in front mm-hmm. of us and I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little zoomed out these days. So we want to keep it uh, short and sweet and simple. Um, So anyone can join. Uh, We're going to have some survivor stories um, from some of the youth that we've served. Um, We are going to have a virtual tour of our actual new facility, which is really nice. People are curious to know what a child advocacy center looks like in a warehouse. Um, You'll get a chance to learn more about that. Um, we're going to have a silent auction and also a fund the mission um, with our very own CEO, Sheila Ryan. So um, it's a great way for people to learn more about us, um, to bid on some auction items, to get a tour of our facility, um, and just to help keep our important work going.
0: That's awesome. That's GCCA, cheerforchildren2020.com. we will keep that on the bottom there for a little bit. Please do check it out. Uh, and um, it's free for folks to uh, to stream or...
1: It is, yeah. Awesome. It'll be stream, so it's free
0: if you go to that link. Awesome. Well, I wish you all the best with that. Uh, I imagine it's been challenging trying to navigate through all that. um yeah. uh, we've we've done. Um, I've worked with you all in the past, and we did the. Uh, Bingo and bubbly, which was a bingo event, and it was a luncheon, and it was a lot of fun. Matter of fact, we've got a short video we'll put at the end of this. So we'll close the episode here today with that video to kind of give you an idea of what it was like when we were back in person. Um, yeah. But it ha- have you been able, other than the, this virtual event, have you done anything else, or is there how else are you working to connect with everyone um, now that you can't do these in-person events?
1: Yeah, it's been a a really big challenge for us. You know, April for folks that aren't aware is Child Abuse Prevention Month. So we always do a huge event in April. It's called the Changemakers Breakfast. So that's like another event that we do that we could not do this year. Um, And typically hundreds of people show up to that event. So we missed we missed that. Um, I know that we are looking ahead to next year um, in terms of some of the events that we'll be doing. We have some exciting ideas that I'm not going to share at this time because I don't want anyone (laughs) in our good ideas. But um, I will just say, you know, we're trying to be creative about how to prioritize safety, right? So what does that mean? Um, Not meeting with hundreds of people inside. That's not a very safe idea. So we're looking at alternatives to that. Um, And again, just looking into account Taking into account the attention span and like what, how much can you do virtually versus how much you could do in person when you have a band and an open bar and someone like Seth in a disco jacket, like keeping the audience engaged. So, we've definitely had to think about, um, you know, ways to alter that. And yeah. so, a, a work in progress for sure. But I think safety is our most important um, consideration at this point.
0: Yeah. And it's so hard to plan. I mean, I, it, and being in the event. Uh, fundraising business, my gosh, it's like even you know it's always oh we'll we'll check in three weeks, check in three weeks now, I mean, now it's time we gotta plan for the spring, yeah, and you can't plan for the spring you I mean, you can I don't actually you can you can plan for the spring, but you can't think and plan as if it was last spring or the spring prior or any other spring. We have to plan with hybrids and yeah. a change of a situation that just doesn't exist and hasn't existed. Uh, but if you're planning your ball or fall your spring event to be in person, 500 people, it's not going to happen. So, yeah. I'm telling you that, you. I mean it. <laughs> but think, you know, think outside the box and you all are doing that and doing so great with that. Um, and I can't wait to, to check out this new space you have. But for folks that want to check you out, there's other ways they can. If not in person, you have all sorts of social media um, and different links. Uh, you want to tell everyone how they can find you all.
1: Yeah. I got
0: the website right there.
1: And there is the website. So I really encourage folks to check out the website. We have information about what we do. There's information about our trainings that you can sign up for. Um, Our prevention team is engaging in a new uh, prevention training called Connections Matter that really um, is community based and talks about adverse childhood experiences, trauma and resiliency. Um, you mentioned earlier, Seth, about children kind of being like trees, adapting to the environment that they're that they're given, right? And it's so true. And we know that kids are resilient. So that's one way that folks can um, not only support us but also educate themselves by taking yeah. those trainings. Those are all happening virtually. So you can find information about that on our website. Um, we're on Facebook at Georgia Center for Child Advocacy. We're on Twitter at GACFCA. Also on Instagram at GACFCA. Um, And so those are some of the ways that people can find us and support us. You can also donate money. Uh, You could donate time. If you have a particular service, we're always looking for nice things to do for our staff. Um, As we've talked throughout this 30 minutes, the work we do is really hard. so we're always looking for ways to keep our staff um, motivated, keep them, also uh sane and um keep our staff resilient so we're always looking for um you know volunteers or gifts from the community around that as well
0: awesome um anything else you want to bring up before we uh close things out
1: um I, i'll just say i think um you know I, i've mentioned a lot of the work that we're doing and a lot of what we're doing is really awesome and amazing and we're, we're implementing evidence-based treatment for our kids. So that matters, science matters. Mm -hmm. Use treatments that have been proven to work, whether it's um, working with children who have experienced trauma or if it's working with children who are exhibiting problematic sexual behaviors, we're actually the only program in the state of Georgia who's providing support um, to kids ages seven to 12, as well as their caregivers. Um, We consult on a variety of things throughout the state on forensic interviewing and training and trauma-informed care. Uh, I mentioned our foster parent training. Um, I think the other thing I'll add that we're really at this moment, that this moment is um, really requiring of us is to look at, how do we step forward as an anti-racist organization? So that's um, something new that we're really trying to tackle and and learning um, the events of the summer have taught us that being non-racist isn't enough, that we actually have to be anti-racist. And so that is one of the things that we're trying to do as an organization. We're learning what that means. Um, We're attending trainings on implicit bias and racism. And just really trying to understand um, what this means. This is really critical for not just our staff who are very diverse, but the community that we serve are predominantly yeah. children and families of color. And so we want the Georgia Center to be a safe place for them to come both like legitimately safe as well as psychologically safe. We want them to feel safe when they come to our center. Um, and so we're really looking at our own role and what does that mean in our community and how do we be anti-racist? So.
0: So, yeah, I mean, not, not to close with a question, but um, but I just does that change how you handle your staffing to make sure that you, that you have a really diversified staff being in Atlanta and knowing that where you're at and what your intake's going to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think we do have a a very diverse staff, which is one of the things I'm most proud about. It's certainly one of the most diverse um, organizations I've been a part of. Then again, I'm from the north, and uh, we're pretty whitewashed up there, so um, it works. So for me, it's really exciting. I feel like it's something we do consider. Um, Also, we have an opportunity. um, We do. We have. We host a lot of interns here, right? So thinking about um, the universities that we want to partner with and the the future Mm -hmm. professionals that we have a an opportunity to influence, um, that's something that we also take into consideration as well.
0: That's awesome. Well, please, everyone do go to georgiascenterforchildadvocacy.org and and see all they're doing and get involved. As she said, there's so many ways to do that. Um, I always close by asking my guests to choose one of our future guests. And is there someone, an organization that you would recommend to be on Coffee Connections?
1: Yeah, I'm going to recommend my uh, colleague and friend, uh, Star Davis. She's an attorney and she's also the founder of the Star Institute. Um, and the Star Institute is a Atlanta based nonprofit seeking to provide services for young girls who have been victims of sexual abuse or exploitation. So that'll be a really good opportunity for you, Seth, to learn more specifically about um, child sex trafficking and some of the work um, that Star has been doing throughout the community.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. I um, look forward to connecting with her. Uh, We're going to go ahead and close. I'm going to show the video from Bingo and Bubbly from last, uh, well, winter, I guess. It was still winter, right? Pre-COVID. It was. Uh, And and thank you so much. Please, uh, all the best to everyone in the organization. Congratulations on the new move, your new digs uh, being settled there. And just again, thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important and it's appreciated.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak about our work, Seth, because um, the only way we keep surviving is through the generosity of our community. So thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. All right, folks, here you go. We'll see you next time.